Let's turn in our Bibles. Let's get where we should be into Matthew chapter 25 and uh, verses 14 to 30. It's a parable called the Parable of the Talents, which we're going to read in a moment. But I want to make a couple of uh, introductory comments before we do. Um, back in 1999, so that's uh, 20 years ago, I heard Stephen Spence, who was then principal of Burley Baptist Theological College in Adelaide, speaking over here in Western Australia on this parable. And it was th at the commencement service of what is now Vose College. So he was talking to students as they're going out into ministry. And I, I remember this so clearly. He said, we need to imagine ourselves as half pessimistic farmer and half cautious public servants. I don't know whether you want to divide yourself that way or this way. But in the same person, half pessimistic farmer, half cautious public servant, so that we can hear this parable like the people in Jesus' day. I actually personally found it helpful uh, so I hope you do too. So half pessimistic farmer. Many of the peasant farmers in Jesus' days really struggled. They were almost subsistence farmers and it was a struggle to keep their head above the water. Constantly they're dependent on variables that were out of their control. Rain, sun, frost, wind, soils, floods, then there are weeds, pests, diseases and so it goes on. Once the crop was harvested there's the tithe, first fruits to the temple. There's the taxes to the Romans. Then the need to put aside some seed for next year for sowing. What's left? They get to eat. And this made the farmers very cautious and very conservative. Not unlike a lot of Aussie farmers of out in farmland in Australia. They wouldn't want to get involved in anything that was risky because they needed the little they got. And mostly these farmers didn't have access to wealth and certainly would not have thought about trading grain because very few of them had enough to trade. And if they did, they would have thought, what if we lost it? We've lost the lot. We've lost our livelihood. So think of yourself as a half-pessimistic farmer. And he also suggests that we need to think of ourselves as being a bit like Sir Humphrey of, yes, Prime Minister, half-cautious public servant. Now, I don't know how many of you know that show. Uh, if you don't, think Utopia, <laughs> the new show on the ABC. It is a classic half-cautious public servant. If you want to get on, if you want to climb up the ladder, which they all seem to want to do, You've got to wait for the old ones to fall off their perch. So you've got to last long enough without making mistakes to get there. So the best way not to make mistakes is don't make a decision. It all takes a long time. We all know that. So nobody around there makes a decision because they're all scared of making a mistake because if they do, they might drop down the ladder or even right out of the service. If we simply do nothing, we can hang in there and sooner or later we'll get promoted to the level of our incompetence. That's the half-cautious public. So now, I can say that, I can say both those because I was a agricultural researcher in the public service many moons ago. So I can say both. So perhaps that's why this hit me. So we've got to think of ourselves as half-pessimistic farmer, half-cautious public servant as we listen this morning. That's kind of tries to summarize the audience that Jesus is speaking to. So we've got a little motto we've got to remember as we do this this morning. Risk nothing, 
risk nothing, invest nothing, invest nothing, and we'll lose nothing. That's how we are. That's who we are as we listen to this parable this morning. So here it is. Again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See how I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I do not sow and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. And give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Risk nothing. Invest nothing. We'll lose nothing. So as we heard about the recklessness of these first two sermons, these first two servants, us in the crowd, we knew they were in for it. This is our thinking. The master would slam them. And then when they heard about the cautious way the third servant acted, burying his talent in the ground where it was safe, the exact way the crowd would have expected all three of the servants to have acted, they were thinking, Yes, right on. He's done a really good job. This is the servant who will be commended by the master. But this is the twist in the story. We, the listeners, are brought right into the story. Just when we think we understand what is going on, Jesus turns the whole thing on its head and we get caught on the wrong side. The first two slaves acted recklessly in the eyes of the crowd. They put everything, everything at risk. They could have lost the lot. Yet they experienced great success and received the generous praise of the master. However, the servant who did what was expected, who tried to protect the future by being cautious in the present, is roundly condemned by the master. 
he declares that he has failed him. Parables have one key point. So forget all the extraneous stuff this morning in this parable. There's one key point. This parable tells us that God has entrusted us, his servants, with the good news of the kingdom. With the glory, the love, the mercy, the grace, the compassion, the forgiveness that all belongs in the kingdom. He's entrusted the kingdom with us. And its main point is best asked in the form of a question. As servants of the king, are we risk takers or safety seekers with God's investment in us? Are we risk takers or safety seekers with God's investment in us? The parable begins, the master gave talents. Then he went on his journey. For most of my life, the only way I've heard the talent described is our natural endowment and our natural ability. We read in the NIV that it's actually about wealth and money. So the talent is not our natural abilities. It's not the natural endowments that God has given us. It is another thing that he gives us. You see, in Jesus' time, a talent was a measure of weight. And a talent was extremely weighty. It was usually silver or gold that was measured in talents. So we're talking about something that's incredibly weighty. It's not you can put a little coin in your pocket and you've got a talent. It's like an ingot of gold, you know, that's held in a bank vault. It's a big, heavy weight, a sign of wealth. So a single talent is weighty. It is very heavy. The guy given five talents is just given something that we can't even think about. It's a weighty state of affairs that he's been given. The same with the servant who's given two. And even the guy given just one talent, he is given a huge amount by his master. And it has been suggested by some commentators, I only saw this this week, that some, if not many of those ancient readers, us half-pessimistic farmers and half-cautious public servants, would not have missed the link between the weightiness of a talent, very heavy and weighty, and the weightiest thing of all. And the weightiest thing of all to them was the kabod of Yahweh, the glory of God. And the fundamental meaning of kabod is actually weight so God and his glory is the weightiest thing that's known he's very very weighty he's very very significant and where was the glory of God found back in Jesus days it was in the temple of Jerusalem that's where God chose to dwell it was on top of the ark of the covenant and that's what we see there which was in the holy of holies this on top of the Ark of the Covenant was where God dwelled. Between the cherubim, on top of the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was from the mercy seat that God dispenses his kabod, his weightiness, 
And the weightiest thing of all is none other than the inexhaustible mercy of God that comes out of the mercy seat and fills the temple with the presence of God. So five, two, one is an incredible weighty share in the inexhaustible mercy of God. That's what we've been given and entrusted to us. The parable is about understanding the gift we have been given. The divine mercy exists only in gift form. It is gift and gift and gift. That's what it is. It's what gives itself away for the sake of others. Therefore, when we spend the divine mercy, it does what? As with those guys in the story, it increases. It comes back 30, 60, 100 fold to us. The one talent man in our story misunderstood the nature of the gift he was given, the weighty gift he was given. We can't hang on to it for our little possession. What will happen is the master will take it away. That's not God being vindictive. When we hang on to the divine mercy and make it our own possession, it stops being the divine mercy. It stops being gift. And we lose it. Let's make another connection here with the famous, one of the other famous parables of Jesus, the prodigal son. I call it the waiting father. Maybe one day I'll preach it to you from that perspective. Remember the young son comes to the father and demands, give me my share of the estate, literally my share of the money, the wealth of this place. Give me my stuff, my substance, my money. And it's important to notice in this story that the son demands, give me my share coming to me. In one little sentence, he three times mentions himself and he's going to possess this great wealth. Well, the father, what's he do? He only knows how to give out of the mercy seat of his inexhaustible mercy. He just gives and gives and gives away. And the son rapidly flitters, fritters the money away. Well, of course he does because when you and I try and make the divine mercy our possession, we'll lose it, we'll spoil it. Because we misunderstand that it is gift, pure gift. Same point here in this parable of the talents. The one thing we can't do with the divine mercy entrusted to us is cling to it, bury it, keep it safe, make it our possession. What we have to do with the weightiness of God's love and mercy is spend it as liberally as God does. You know, I really love it that these ancient stories still sing across to us here in the ages and mean so much. This is just such a, a powerful story. So in our story, a talent is the opportunities and responsibilities of the kingdom of heaven. It's the inexhaustible mercy of God, the glory of God, the love, grace and forgiveness that God brings in the kingdom. And he gives it to each person according to his ability and where to spend it liberally to invest it wisely where to risk our portion of this amazing mercy to bring our master so that when our master returns we can hear well done 
good and faithful servant. He hasn't come back yet, has he, with what he's given us. But when he comes back, this parable might touch you because the only thing I want to hear from my Father in heaven when it's all over is, well done, good and faithful servant. The rest is utterly useless. It's all I want to hear. We are Jesus' servant in this world. Our job is to risk the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus didn't entrust us with the kingdom to keep it sterile and unused and buried in the ground. He left us here so that we might actually be difference makers with that part of the kingdom, his inexhaustible mercy that he has entrusted to us. Remember, it's entrusted. It's not our possession. Servants acting to make the future safe by being cautious in the present are not living responsibly in the kingdom of God. Our future is only safe if we're willing to risk everything now. It was Stephen Spence on that night. This is why I've never forgotten it. He said, gamble with the good news of the kingdom and not be gutless with it. The story of the parable, gamble with the goodness of the kingdom and not be gutless with it. You know, we pray in our prayer, your kingdom come. This prayer must be accompanied by our risk-taking gambling, if you like, of the good news of the kingdom. In the first century, most of the religious people tried to keep themselves pure. How did they do that? By not touching anything that was unclean. It was a defensive sense of holiness. I'm pure, you're not, and if I touch you, I'll become contaminated. And sometimes I wonder if that's not the stance of the church. I'm pure, you're not, I'll stay here. But how did Jesus act? I'm pure, you're not, and if I touch you, you become clean. That's why he touched lepers, the untouchables. Jesus' purity was a kind of invading, attacking kind of purity. And we talked about holiness a couple of weeks ago. He was not afraid of impurity. He knew that his purity would be able to change those with whom he got involved with. We're sent out as missionaries in the world as what? Salt, the purifier, and light, the revealer of darkness. Not to be wrapped up in a cloth and buried in the ground because it ain't safe there because gift ain't safe. We looked at Jesus with the tax collectors of the time. He, he had a habit of eating with tax collectors, prostitutes and sinners. And what did that lead to? It led to one group, the religious ones, calling him a, a, a glutton and a drunkard. It led to his reputation being challenged. It led to disrepute coming upon what he was doing in the kingdom. But in Jesus' own eyes and in the eyes of his Father in heaven, it led to the advancement of the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the fact that everyone that we lock eyes with on this earth matters to God and is important to God and that we need intentionally to build relationships with them and let ourselves do good works. Samaritan woman at the well. We see Jesus risking his reputation by being seen with this woman. Does Jesus care? 
He deliberately spoke to her. He initiated the conversation so that the kingdom would be advanced. And it was so advanced that she came to faith, raced off to the village and brought all the villagers back to hear this man, Jesus. In one sense, and I say this very carefully this morning, I'm a little, little bit frightened to say it, but in one sense, God rep, uh, risked the reputation of the kingdom on the cross. And I say it because the only people who died on a cross were criminals. Jesus, the innocent one, on a cross, God took the risk. And we as his people are called to be just like him. We're to be bold. We're to gamble the gospel, if I can use that phrase this morning. We are to invest our portion of the gospel in the world around us. We are to be bold at work, at home. Home's one of the hardest places to be bold. But that's what we're called to do. Where we play. This is a time of challenge. The master gone left us with the kingdom. This is a time of opportunity. And it's a time of challenge. And I want to say it's not to be missed not to be missed we are to be willing to risk our reputation the reputation of the kingdom of god so i ask this question this morning are we here at bentley baptist church we've been talking about mission for five weeks now are we willing to be bold with the portion of the kingdom the overflowing mercy of god that he has entrusted to us This parable is probably more of a challenge to me today than it was 20 years ago. Because I'm, ti- I'm a timid kind of person, a bit risk-averse. I perhaps why I identify with half-pessimistic farmer and half-cautious public servant. Because I'm risk-averse. When our master returns, he will want to know, did you risk the gospel of the kingdom? like the five and two talent guys or did you bury it like the one and remember he had a huge weightiness in his hands will we be found running off to where we buried the kingdom treasure and returning to jesus saying look here is the kingdom untouched just the way you gave it to me all those years ago is this going to please our master Those who are prepared to bury the good news of the kingdom in order to safeguard it are risking their very futures by being cautious with it. God does not want the kingdom that he trusted to us back safe and untouched. He wants it to be risked and spent liberally. For us to be blessed as we seek to grow the kingdom. In fact, the reward for the work well done was to enter into the joy of the master, good and faithful servant. Those willing to risk nothing actually risk losing everything. Can I change the image? A ship in a harbour is safe. Go down to Fremantle in the protected harbour, all the big ships are safe. Is that what they're built for? No. They're made to cross out over the oceans that get pretty, we sang about it, that get pretty high and rough and horrible. Are we given this treasure to hold it? 
No, we are the what? We are the sent ones into the world. We are the sent ones into the world. Not to sit here. Let's gather for worship. But not to sit here in safety. It's not what we've been entrusted with, with the kingdom of God. Now let me just say this. It's important to notice that the success of the first two servants was not inevitable. It was not guaranteed by their good planning. Their success was miraculous. It was an act of God. Why do I say that? Because when we're sent out, we're sent out with the power of the Spirit of God to do the work. So the results are not ours. It's the work of God. We get so results-oriented when we think about doing good deeds and so on and sharing the gospel. We get results-oriented. No, we're just to do it because this is what we're entrusted with and God will bring in what's needed to be brought in. Their success was an act of God. And as we gamble the kingdom of God, we let him bring in the results. Matthew wants us, the hearers of this parable, to share God's adventure of inclusiveness. All are invited. To invite all into his kingdom. God is way, way bigger than our church and our religious industry in this world. Let us be encouraged to stop putting God under the mattress, if I can put it that way. Just to give you another picture to think about. As we begin to trust allowing God to move through us, our lives change as individuals and our communities have a better chance at change. We're called to gamble. It's not ours. We're called to gamble a gift. It's not ours. What happens if it keeps coming back and returning? God says, here's some more. Go out and have fun with it. It's not going to run out. There's an inexhaustible supply of mercy coming from our God. We must invest our piece of the kingdom. It's not really a gamble. The only gamble is to take our part of the kingdom and bury it. That's the real gamble here. So let us be difference makers with the portion of the kingdom that God has entrusted to us. Let us gamble with the good news of the kingdom of heaven and not be gutless with it. Let's just pause. Think about all of that. And as you think about all of that, start to let your eyes and your mind wander to the emblems that we have before us this morning, the elements we're going to share in this meal. But just... Just sit there quietly with God and start to turn and focus.